welcome to episode one of the Individual One Podcast. I am John Ziegler. I am the host of this brand new show based out of Los Angeles, California, which is devoted to chronicling the presidency of Donald J. Trump in a truthful manner from a conservative perspective, something you would think there would be lots and lots of people doing, but no one is. So someone needed to do so. Some have claimed to do so. None really have done so. Consequently, the Global Story Network, which is distributing this podcast to an international audience, has stepped up, and I am honored to be the host of this program. So what is the Individual One podcast? Most of episode one will be devoted to answering that question and explaining why we are uniquely qualified to provide commentary on the political story of our time in a way in which no one else can or will provide. Now, the name Individual One, for those who are unfamiliar, (laughs) deals with the Michael Cohen case. Michael Cohen, the former personal attorney to Donald Trump, President of the United States. In court papers, Donald Trump was referred to as Individual One the person who directed Michael Cohen to take the actions that he did, specifically with regard to covering up uh, his mistresses during the 2016 campaign. So the people at Global Story Network thought that this was a particularly interesting name for a podcast about Donald Trump. I agree with that. And so that's what we'll be calling this, the individual One podcast about twice a week will be analyzing the latest Trump-related news with compelling commentary and interesting guests. Why me, though? Well, I have to say that I'm not nearly the braggart that Donald Trump is. Correct. (laughs) I am uniquely qualified to do this in a lot of different ways. First of all, I have quite a background with Donald Trump. My father has quite a background with Donald Trump, which I'll explain in a little bit. I have extensive experience within the conservative movement. I have extraordinary knowledge about how the political and media game works, having the bullet holes to prove it in my storied and often crisis-filled career. And largely because of that, I care more about the truth than about being liked. And that really is the essence of why I can provide commentary that no one else can. Because this is all a game. This is all a business. For most conservative media stars, they have to continue to praise Donald Trump regardless. Because otherwise, their audience will leave them. Well, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose from the standpoint of losing celebrity or stature financially. I couldn't care less. And even if I had something to lose, what makes me tick, my value system, I wouldn't care anyway, which makes me a very dangerous man. When when you're the dead man walking, which effectively I have been, especially since I came out as a conservative who was anti-Trump, when you're dead man walking and you have nothing to lose, you know, what's the line from the song? Freedom's just another way of saying you got nothing left to lose. Well, that's that's basically why I'm free 
to tell the truth about Donald Trump. So there, there's no one else who has been there, who has been part of the right-wing conspiracy for many years, who knows the way the game is played, who understands Donald Trump, who has cracked the code of what really makes him work, who looks at all of this from a conservative perspective and is able to break it all down in a truthful and compelling fashion, except me. There should be many people like me, but unfortunately there's not. And that's why we need this podcast. And hopefully that's why you'll appreciate what we'll provide you on a bi-weekly basis. Now, as far as some of the details on my uh, my background with uh, Trump, the the reality is that my father did some business with him way back in the late 80s, which indicated to him, and, and all of this today is going to be very much of a summary of what this podcast is and what I'm bringing to the table. So in the future, we'll get into the details. But based upon my father's experience doing business with him on some, some pretty high-profile situations, specifically how he got his yacht, how he got Mar-a-Lago, it was very clear to my father that Donald Trump, number one, <laughs> was a fraud and wasn't particularly rich. And two, wasn't real bright nor honest. Now, I didn't deal with him at the time. I was living with my father in Boston when this when all went down. But it made an impression on me. And when Donald Trump became more of a prominent figure, ironically enough, my wife and I used to watch The Apprentice all the time. And that's you know, the TV show that was a reality show that really made Donald Trump famous in the United States of America even more famous than he already was, and, and really for, for a lot of people was the stepping stone for his political career, as bizarre as that sounds. To me, The Apprentice is the, is the best way to get to understand who Donald Trump really is. I mean, I remember watching that show on a regular basis because my wife liked it and being horrified that Donald Trump was even being allowed to host a reality TV show. That sounds funny in retrospect, but the reality is that he he was terrible at it. He, his decisions in the boardroom were like watching a toddler look at different shiny objects, and then you were just waiting to see which was the last object he found shiny enough to decide was the one that was going to win. And this was just a stupid reality TV show, and yet I found it to be incredibly frustrating to watch. And then I, I, I had a, a weird interaction with Trump himself, which actually resulted in him sending me a very nice note, which you can find on my Twitter page. I, ironically, many people misinterpret this, but I ironically have this as my Twitter page header. This, this note that Trump sent me after our interaction together backstage at the Today Show. I had been on the Today Show on a completely different subject back in March of 2014. And the next day I went to meet with Matt Lauer, who's now since been disgraced and no longer is at the Today Show, but at the time was the number one man in all of morning television in the United States of America. And Matt wanted to uh, talk to me about what we had done the previous day. And lo and behold, that day, Donald Trump was one of the guests. And we were all waiting backstage, and I had seen Trump there. And he and I had something in common in that uh, he had supported 
publicly Joe Paterno, the former Penn State football coach who had been disgraced in a massive controversy that I had done an extraordinary investigation into. And I wanted to go up to him and, and, and thank him for taking a stand on behalf of Joe Paterno, who I knew had been unfairly accused. And uh, I was curious whether or not he was going to be interested in finding out what really happened because I had that information. And lo and behold, the conversation wasn't that long. It was only a couple of minutes, but it was really enlightening because it really showed to me what an unbelievable narcissist Donald Trump really is. Correct. I mean, all he cared about was talking about how his support of Joe Paterno had made him loved in Pennsylvania. People in Pennsylvania loved him because of what he had said about Joe Paterno when no one else was willing to defend him. And I was struck by the fact he had no intellectual curiosity whatsoever. I mean, none. I mean, you would think you might, even just to be polite, you might ask one question like, hey, I was wondering about this or that. He had, it's obvious he had no idea the facts of the case. He had no idea why he had defended Joe Paterno other than that he had gotten love for doing it. And interestingly, I, I, I believe, considering the timing of that, early 2014, this ends up playing a, a major role in his presidential aspirations because, as it turns out, Pennsylvania wins him effectively both the Republican presidential nomination and the presidency. <laughs> so there, you could not have had a more enlightening and, in retrospect, important two- or three-minute conversation with somebody than I did with Donald Trump. So all this was the backdrop uh, for, for my perception of him and why I was in a somewhat unique situation once he announces for presidency in 2015. Now, remember, I'm, I'm a lifelong Republican, a lifelong conservative, someone who's done battle against the liberal media. I've done documentary films, uh, one very famously after the 2008 United States presidential election about the media malpractice that got Barack Obama elected. So on the surface, I'm somebody that should be very susceptible to be being wooed by Donald Trump. I mean, he's speaking my language. But as soon as he announced in 2015, I was extremely agitated. Not because I thought he would win the nomination or because he would eventually become president, but because I thought he was going to disrupt the Republican presidential nomination process enough to where Hillary Clinton would end up winning. In other words, he would disrupt the process. Our candidate would be either damaged or the wrong candidate would emerge and that Hillary would then somehow end up winning. And I didn't want that. And part of why I knew that this was going to be a problem is because I knew the way the conservative media worked, having been part of it, having been a longtime talk show host, having been a television guest on most of these shows, knowing a lot of these people, knowing that they're not to be trusted, knowing that it's all about ratings, that they all they actually don't want a conservative to win, especially if he's not exciting because that would be ratings death for them that they had an incentive to give Donald Trump's candidacy far more credibility and viability than it deserved and I turned out to be dead right about this in fact 
I underestimated just how in the tank the conservative media would be for Donald Trump. And in fact, when, when you think about it, that's really the fundamental problem with getting reliable and honest commentary about Donald Trump and why the individual one podcast is so important. Because the mainstream news media, which is decidedly liberal, and the Democrats have gone completely nuts about Donald Trump. He has driven them insane. He's He has triggered them beyond comprehension to the point where they cannot be trusted to tell the truth about him. Correct. While the conservative media and the Republican Party have become almost completely co-opted and compromised to the point where they are nothing more than state-run entities. Correct. And so neither side is even capable of understanding or telling the truth. They are disincentivized to either be able to see it or tell it in ways that I am not, and this podcast will not be. So, and there are many reasons for that. There's my background with Trump. There is the fact that I don't care about being liked, the fact that I know the way this game is played, and that I really, I value the truth. I'm a truth guy, even when it will hurt me personally. And that was the decision that I was faced with when it came to the Trump candidacy in 2016. And I, even behind the scenes, I tried immediately. This was one of my harebrained schemes that could have worked but never got off the ground. I even tried to pressure Trump into either withdrawing from the race or toning down his rhetoric by using my friendship with a Democratic congressman by the name of John Yarmouth, who is now the chairman of the Budget Committee in the House of Representatives, now that the Democrats, the Democrats have taken over control in the House of Representatives. But he and I go way back. We're golfing buddies. And I said to John, just days after Trump announced, I said, look, uh, we both know that this is trouble, that this is, this is bad news uh, for the country. I think Trump can get traction here. Uh, and I realize that you Democrats are going to actually like that because you're going to think you can beat him. And this ends, I think this ends up being why the plan didn't work. But the, the plan was viable. And that was this. Trump loves, like John and I do, loves golf. He owns numerous golf courses. His dream at that time was far more pedestrian than becoming president of the United States. His dream was to have a major golf championship at one of his golf courses, whether it's the British Open or the U.S. Open or a PGA championship, something like that. And I said, John, if you guys get together, a bunch of you in Congress, write a letter to, say, the USGA saying that in light of Donald Trump's comments on immigration, that the USGA should sever their relationships with Donald Trump. I think there's a very good chance Trump cries uncle and realizes that this is a bad idea for him and that he's going to lose out on his great dream of having a major championship at one of his golf courses. John thought this was a great idea. 
and immediately started in on it. But I think what happened was, and I, I've never really revisited this with John because this is one of those situations where it's better left unsolved because <laughs> it can only cause problems. But I know John very well, and I know the way this game works. And my sense is that over time, because there was actually an effort to do this, that his allies on the Democratic side started to think, you know what? This Trump thing is actually pretty good for us. Let's let this wildfire burn. Not thinking that the wildfire was ever going to get so out of control that it would end up burning down Hillary Clinton in the end. And that's really, in a nutshell, how this whole thing went down. In retrospect, I don't even think Donald Trump thought he was going to be president of the United States. This is an accidental presidency in a lot of ways. There is anecdotal evidence and circumstantial evidence to back up that assertion. I'm not saying that he never wanted to be president. I'm not someone who thinks the, the most extreme theories about who Donald Trump is are accurate. Like, for instance, I don't think he's Hitler. I don't think he's a Manchurian candidate who's actually a Russian spy. I, I try exceedingly hard to be very, very fair to Donald Trump and to be open-minded. But almost invariably, I am disappointed by who he is. I tried very, very hard during the 2016 campaign to decide, okay, is Trump a good guy or is he a bad guy? And that was inspired by my daughter, who at the time was two or three years old, uh, saying this. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? That was her sincere question. She heard me talk a lot about Donald Trump. And, of course, at two or three, that's all you want to know about somebody. Your, your, your world is, is Disney. And everybody in Disney is either good guy or bad guy. White hat, black hat. So, Donald Trump. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? And at the time, I, I wasn't sure what the answer to that was. I knew he wasn't totally a good guy. Uh, I was hoping he wasn't totally a bad guy. And I have to admit that there was even moments during that campaign, which shows you the potency of Donald Trump's message to conservatives who have been pissed off about the news media and, and, and liberal overreach during the Obama administration to the point where they were even willing to consider the concept of a Donald Trump presidency. But even I, at times, found myself thinking, well, maybe this wouldn't be so bad. I mean, I love his rhetoric on political correctness. I agree with him on some things regarding immigration uh, this show is out of Los Angeles, California. Southern California has been ravaged by illegal immigration. And so there are elements of of his persona that I liked. He appears to be ballsy. He's not really. See, that's the thing about Donald Trump. Almost everything that he claims to be is not only not true, it's the opposite of true. When you crack the code of Donald Trump, that's a key part to understanding it. His fans don't get this. His fans think that when he says he's a great dealmaker, it means he's a great dealmaker. In reality, when he says, I'm a great dealmaker, it means I'm not really very good at making deals. And I'm kind of embarrassed about it because, you know, I'm a businessman. That's supposedly what I do. But even I was somewhat vulnerable to this. There were pangs where I never was rooting for him during the 
nominating process. But there were times when I thought, well, maybe I don't want him to get totally destroyed here and, and pushed out because I think he's at least forcing the other candidates to be a little bit more ballsy than they would be otherwise. Because most Republicans are wimps. And they're wimps because they're afraid of the news media. And Donald Trump is clearly not afraid of the news media. And I'll give him that. I think that's legitimate. You know, I don't think he's afraid of the news media, partially because he knows the news media exceedingly well. This is part of Trump's genius. Trump does have a genius. He is, he is the greatest manipulator of the news media I have ever seen. And in large part, it's because he knows that the news media, one, are a bunch of morons because they have inaccurately reported on him. Frankly, I think he's amazed that they allowed him to be perceived as this highly successful billionaire. I think that's the key to understanding why Trump knows the media is incompetent. They fell for his con because he's not a highly successful billionaire. And that's really maybe the first thing you need to understand about Donald Trump. And that's why my father's experience with him was so integral to me understanding who he really is and isn't. His lack of being super rich is really the essence of figuring out everything else. Trump is like a Rorschach test. He's a human Rorschach test. Rorschach test is, you know, a psychologist or a psychologist shows you a, uh, a picture and you have to interpret what that picture is, right? And there's usually two totally different ways of looking at it. And with Trump, it really is. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Well, in order to interpret Trump properly, the first thing you need to understand is he's not super rich. That's reality. He claims to be worth $10 billion. He's not. Depending on how you define it, I doubt he's even worth a billion dollars. Now, is he rich? Obviously, he's rich. But he's nowhere near as rich as he claims which is, by the way, why he claims to be super rich all the time. Because if you claim to be super rich all the time, people won't think you're poor. They might not believe you're worth $10 billion, but they're not going to think you are poor. But understanding that he's not rich is the key to interpreting everything else he does. Because when you realize he's not really rich, and that you realize that in the early 1990s, and my father was involved in this as well. He was toast. It was over for Donald Trump. There was literally a meeting of bankers to whom Donald Trump owed lots of money where they were deciding, okay, are we going to let Donald Trump live or are we going to kill him figuratively? And they decided to let Donald Trump live partially, almost entirely, really, because of his celebrity. They realized that having him live, and therefore his brand survive, was the only way they were going to get any of their money back. And, and that was a seminal moment for Donald Trump. It made him realize, one, that celebrity is everything. That when you're a celebrity, you literally get treated differently than if you're a normal person. If Donald Trump was named Donald Smith... He would have been put out of business in the early 90s, and he would never have been heard from again. But because he had made himself a celebrity using the news media that bought into a narrative that was baloney, that wasn't based in reality, they bought his con, 
So he manipulates the media into making him a celebrity. He uses that celebrity to get out of what would have been political and business death via bankruptcy in the early 1990s. And he gets an extraordinary amount of confidence in his savant-like ability to escape dangerous situations. I actually see Trump a lot like I see the character that Johnny Depp created in Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow, to me, is maybe the the most positive metaphor I can use to describing who Donald Trump really is. Captain Jack Sparrow is highly unorthodox, not very smart overtly, gets himself into a lot of trouble, doesn't seem to know what he's doing, thrives in chaos, but somehow always survives in the end. And his fans love him for it. And he uses, either by by hook or by crook, you know, Jack Sparrow's famous line when someone looks at him after they've been screwed by him and he says, pirate, I'm a pirate. What else do you expect? And people love that. His fans love that, especially when he's sticking it to the establishment. Ah, he got away with it again. Yeah, he lied. Yeah, he cheated. Yeah, he screwed some people over, but it's awesome to watch. And that's that's really what this is about for a lot of people. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? That's Donald Trump. Russell Crowe and Gladiator. Are you not entertained? His fans love this. And so like Captain Jack Sparrow, it almost doesn't matter how it happens. As long as he survives in the end, it's a good show. And Trump is very good at that. He's almost savant-like in his ability to survive. But as the 2016 campaign moved along, I uh, became more and more convinced that Trump was actually a bad guy. That his essence is that of a bad guy. Not Hitler. Nowhere near. More of a buffoon. But a guy who only cares about himself. A guy who is not smart. A guy who has a toddler's attention span. A man who is narcissistic beyond all comprehension. Effectively, a con man. Correct. Again, I like this ballsiness. He can sometimes be funny, although it's hard to tell if he's really in on the joke. I agree with him on some things, especially political correctness. And, and I, I really believe that the crusade against political correctness, which is totally selfish on his part, because everything he does is selfish, is the essence of his political appeal. It, it's almost like the energy, the, his, his energy source, his battery source. If liberals in this country stopped being so politically correct, it would take away an awful lot of Trump's energy and power. Because the other side has gone so bananas on political correctness that people, I think, gravitate towards anybody who is willing to even, in perception, stand up to that and be at least a little bit ballsy. So within this Rorschach test, it became very clear to me that Trump was bad news for, for my party, the Republican Party, the conservative movement, bad news for the country, bad news for the world if he ever got elected. And, and if, you, if you don't like the Rorschach test metaphor, 
he's really a lot like the Wizard of Oz. Do you see Donald Trump as the wizard? Or do you see him as the old man fumbling behind the curtain? And I see him much more as the old man fumbling behind the curtain. By the way, the old man fumbling behind the curtain, his intentions aren't that bad. Trump's intentions might not be that bad. But to me, the great danger and why this goes beyond just something that can be laughed off is what the Trump presidency is doing to our institutions and how it is potentially paving the way for someone far worse in the future. Trump is not Hitler. That's the good news. The bad news is, is he paving the way somehow in the future for someone who is Hitler-like? And that's something that we never imagined here in the United States of America was even theoretically possible, but we're now having to reconsider everything that, that is possible and not possible, partially because of his election itself. His election, of course, shocked many people, including myself, here in America and around the world. And publicly, I was one of those who was very confident that Trump would never beat Hillary Clinton. But I have to say, behind the scenes, I was far more worried than I was letting on. I'm not trying to pretend I knew he was going to win. I did not. But again, using my friendship with Congressman John Yarmouth, I kept telling Congressman Yarmouth, look, you guys are doing this all wrong. You're going at him all wrong. You're going at him in a very politically correct way. You're actually making him seem stronger than he really is. And I was concerned about what that meant, especially given the fact that Hillary Clinton was such a unlikable candidate that he was going up against. And so while I was shocked that Trump won, it wasn't as stunning as maybe it should have been. I, w- I was somebody who did not like Hillary Clinton. I, my first documentary film was an anti-Clinton film. I was a strong proponent of Bill Clinton's impeachment and thought he should have been removed from office. But in the end, as bad as Hillary would have been in the short run, I was one of those people convinced that Trump, if he got elected, would be even worse in the long run for my party, my country, and the world. And I think that has been borne out. Now, we haven't seen the actual repercussions of that yet, thankfully. But I see a lot of this like a home or a house that's infested with termites. And Trump is infesting the house with termites for his own personal benefit. A house that's infested with termites looks fine. Functionally, you don't see much difference in the short run. But eventually something's going to happen and expose the weakness in the foundation of the house. And that house is going to come crumbling down if you don't do something about it. So how do you remove the termites? Or how do you remove the cancer? And I think a strong argument can be made that in a lot of ways Donald Trump is a political cancer. In a lot of ways his victory was a political 9-11 for this country and the world. Now, obviously, no one specifically died, and I'm talking metaphorically here. And I do believe that there have been some 
short-term benefits. I always said that there would be short-term benefits to a Trump presidency. I liken this to a hurricane. Trump is a hurricane. We don't know if he's a Category 5 hurricane or maybe a Category 1 or 2. We're hoping for a Category 1 or 2 that we can survive. And even a hurricane, as much damage as it does, a hurricane provides rain to areas that often don't get rain. Here in the United States, in Texas and Florida, an awful lot of the yearly rainfall is contingent on how many hurricanes you get. So even a hurricane brings some positive. And I believe Trump has done that. Trump has done that uh, in this country in the realm of reducing taxes and in putting two conservatives on the U.S. Supreme Court as well as numerous other conservative judges on lesser courts. Not sure he had any much to do with that personally, but he still gets credit for it because without him that would not have happened. Those are things that as a conservative I see as good. Are they worth the long-term destruction that I believe is inevitable and must be curtailed by almost any means necessary? I doubt it. Because overall, I think that the Trump presidency has been so far largely a disaster with those significant but relatively small victories that I already mentioned being the exception that proved the rule. To me, the biggest issue with Donald Trump is that he's a pathological liar. Correct. That, I mean, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? When we have a, a president of the United States, the leader of the free world, who does not believe in the value of truth. And I'm a truth guy. That's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I put what was left of my career on the line to be an, a largely anti-Trump conservative, knowing that there would be repercussions for that. Well, if a president, I mean, we thought, people like me thought that Bill Clinton was terrible because he was a liar. He was an amateur liar in comparison to Donald Trump. Donald Trump lies pathologically on an everyday basis, numerous times a day. He is not competent to do the job. He is uniquely unqualified for the job. He has degraded his office horrifically. He is a terrible deal maker. The economy is persevering despite his bizarre fixation with tariffs. He sucks up to tyrants around the world and treats Vladimir Putin far better than he does our NATO allies. He hires mostly terrible people and can't keep the good ones around him for very long. All of this is extremely troubling. But he maintains a level of support that, while small, is far greater than most people in this country and I'm sure around the world can understand. And it's because he has something no other modern U.S. president or maybe any U.S. president has had. He has a cult. I refer to them as Colt 45. There used to be an old beer commercial here in the United States for Colt 45 beer. Well, he's the 45th president of the United States, and he has a cult, and there's no question that it's a cult. I mean, there's, it, it, there's a difference between fervent support and a cult. Barack Obama had people that were verging on a cult. There, there was some element of Obama's cult of personality being a real live cult. But I believe that, that Trump is a whole nother story. 
I love the poorly educated. Yeah, that that's the reality. Donald Trump has conned a lot of poorly educated people in this country into believing he's fighting for them when no one else will. And that's just not true. All I know is what's on the Internet. Yeah, well, that's that's the reality of where we are. This is a guy who is very, very good at manipulating dumb people. A classic con man. And because of that cult, we he needs to be dealt with in a completely different fashion than anyone else ever in the history of this country from a political perspective. Because even though only 40-41% of the American public support him, and about 55% are pretty strongly against him. Those are numbers that normally would make someone, as President of the United States, vulnerable to being impeached or potentially even being removed if they were found to have committed high crimes or misdemeanors. That is not necessarily the case with Donald Trump. Because that cult is not going to leave him no matter what. And they will punish whoever goes after him. And that really is the foundation for why this Individual One podcast exists going forward. Because we are heading into an unprecedented time period, it appears. That because of the investigation into the 2016 election by special counsel Robert Mueller, that has already resulted in numerous guilty pleas and indictments of key people very, very close to Donald Trump, there is a very good chance that Donald Trump is going to be impeached. I don't believe he'll be removed, but it is certainly theoretically possible that he has committed acts which should warrant his removal. But because of that cult 45, that is going to be an exceedingly difficult proposition. So going forward, it's almost like we have the unstoppable force of what might be the allegations and the proof that have been found by Robert Mueller going up against the immovable object of this Colt 45. And who's going to win? That's going to be fascinating. And that's going to be really at the essence of what this podcast will be looking at. It won't be exclusively what this podcast will be looking at. But that conflict is going to be at the heart of what we are chronicling, thus the name Individual One. Again, to be clear, my view on Trump, I'm still open-minded towards him in many ways. I still defend him in many ways. I have written numerous articles for Mediate, where I'm a senior columnist, Mediate.com, defending him and saying that things that Liberals are claiming are going to harm him greatly, aren't going to do him any harm at all. And I'm almost always correct in this. Again, because I'm seeing him from a unique perspective. Liberals are not able to see the truth about Donald Trump because they are blinded by their rage, by their being triggered. I'm not triggered by Donald Trump except maybe by the lying. That probably triggers me a bit because I'm a truth guy. But I'm able to get past that. As a conservative, I'm able to see... One, how what he's doing will be perceived by the conservative audience. And two, how the news media is going to be ineffective in convincing anybody that they're right. 
in 99% of the cases because there, there is a crisis of confidence in the news media, largely because, ironically, they were so in favor of Barack Obama for over eight years. They had their pom-poms out cheerleading for Barack Obama for eight years, and now all of a sudden they want the American public, at least American conservatives, to believe them when suddenly everything's a massive scandal. There were no scandals for eight years, and now all of a sudden everything is bigger than Watergate. Well, that might be true, but people aren't going to buy that. Not coming from liberal mainstream news media because they gave up all their credibility to cheerlead for Barack Obama. And so Trump is not Hitler. He may not even be an overt criminal. I believe that Trump is survivable as a presidency, but it will take luck and it will take determination and it may take action, action that I don't know that anyone is capable of, uh, capable of because, as I've said, the left is blinded and the right is co-opted. And that leaves almost no one else because we're living in a world now where everyone needs to appeal to a tribe or a cult in order to survive in this fragmented media world. But Trump has reduced the U.S. presidency to a reality TV show. He was a reality TV star. He used that to become president. And this is a reality TV show. We're entering into what I call season five. Season five is likely to be the wackiest season yet. Season one was him winning the Republican presidential nomination. Season two was him winning the presidency. Season three was first year. Season four was second year. We're in the third year now. Season five. And the audience is going to demand his impeachment. I actually think Trump might enjoy his impeachment because it will create great content. He's going to have trouble creating content this year because he no longer controls Congress. So there's going to be stagnation in Congress, very little movement, gridlock. So he may need impeachment to keep the ratings high. And frankly, folks, as bizarre as it sounds, this is the way he thinks. Correct. So he may enjoy impeachment because Republicans will be forced to support him on a daily basis, and he, he'll love that. I think Bill Clinton kind of enjoyed that even though the subject matter was rather embarrassing but hey you know i I, i'm i'm pretty sure clinton didn't really mind everyone uh discussing on a regular basis his sex life well this isn't uh, as sexy the subject matter frankly it's far more substantive and important but trump will still be defended by his sycophants in what i refer to as the state-run media and a republican party that's been completely co-opted and compromised you could actually argue that the quote-unquote conservative state-run media and the republican party are as co-opted and compromised towards trump as trump is to vladimir putin and the relationship between trump and putin obviously is key here much of this podcast will chronicle the process of trump's possible impeachment because of the trump russia investigation the Trump-Russia saga will surely be a, a large part of all of this. Robert Mueller, the special counsel's final report, will likely determine if Trump will be impeached and whether there's any realistic chance of him being removed. My current view is, 
for reasons I've already stated regarding the cult, is that he will, in fact, be impeached in season five, but not be removed. Because after all, nobody really has an incentive for this reality show to end. Not Democrats, not Republicans, not the news media, not his fans. And if no one has an incentive for that to happen, it's highly unlikely. Because facts, truth, and even the law often don't matter anymore. Now, you may be asking impeach for what? Well, the two most important things we've learned about Trump so far in the investigation with regard to Russia are the revelation of his attempt to build a Trump Tower in Moscow and the connection between his campaign and WikiLeaks. Right there, we have potential obstruction, perjury, suborning perjury, witness tampering, and jury tampering charges against Donald Trump. I think you can make a very strong argument, and I'm sure I will at certain points in future episodes of the Individual One podcast, that each of those allegations I just cited are backed up by what is already in the current public record regarding Donald Trump. Now, does that mean collusion with Russia? I'm not so sure. I've written extensively at Mediate. In fact, I've even done an interview that Donald Trump himself has cited. Now, this is typical of my bizarre career where you know, last month, a month or so ago, Donald Trump actually cited on Twitter three times an interview I did with an investigative reporter named Michael Isikoff, very well-respected author who wrote a book called Russian Roulette, interview I did on my own personal podcast called The World According to Zig, where both Isikoff and I theorized that there was not actual collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. Now, Isikoff is no fan of Trump. I'm no fan of Trump, but both of us are fact and truth guys. And it's hard to make the full argument that there was knowing full-on collusion between Russia and Trump. Oddly enough, I think because Russia was more wary of it than the Trump campaign was. I've likened this to a dating analogy where Trump was more interested in Russia than vice versa. I think Russia was maybe even concerned about getting a sexually transmitted disease. That this was more trouble for them than it was worth, especially if Hillary Clinton was going to win and hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Why would they get involved with this if they thought Trump was going to lose? I don't think they thought Trump was hot enough for them. Well, Trump desperately wanted it. Well, why did Trump desperately want the relationship? Partially because at some level he, he wanted to win, even though he didn't think he would. But more than anything else, he wanted to make sure at the end of this, he got a Trump Tower in Moscow. That, to me, appears, based upon the current factual record, to be the real essence of this scandal. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean collusion. In fact, it kind of cuts against collusion, depending on how you interpret that. But that, to me, is the real scandal. That Donald Trump went through the entire 2016 campaign, based upon what we currently know, even from his own attorney, Rudy Giuliani, although some of his statements have been pulled back, but I don't believe that, throughout the entire campaign, not just the primary, but the general election, while trying to make a deal with Russia that may have involved a, 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 a effectively a bribe to Vladimir Putin giving him a penthouse in this Trump Tower, all the way to the moment he got elected. That's extraordinary on so many levels. That, to me, right there is the motivation for a lot of the 
lying and a lot of the actions of those around Trump that otherwise don't make a lot of sense. And then there's the, the WikiLeaks angle. The WikiLeaks angle where we apparently have elements of the Trump campaign conspiring with WikiLeaks, which is perceived as a Russian front for having hacked into the Democratic Party's email servers, which was a big part of dictating the narrative of the 2016 campaign. Those are significant things. But are, is it going to be enough to convince the American public two years plus past the fact of collusion to the point where the United States Senate will be forced to remove Donald Trump if he, in fact, is impeached? I doubt it. But we will obviously be chronicling this on this podcast, and it should be fascinating to see how it all plays out. You can look at this very much as the greatest crisis politically that America has ever faced in the modern time. Whether you want to look at it as the political 9-11 or what have you, it is a crisis for America, and it is a crisis by extension for the world. How Trump is dealt with going forward over the next year or two is going to determine the path much of the world takes from here on out. It's going to be a wild and vitally important ride. And we hope you will allow us to be your tour guide on that trip by listening to this podcast, by sharing it with others. The best way that you can keep up with the show is to follow me on Twitter at Zygmunt Freud. That's a really terrible Twitter handle based upon an old college nickname, but that's Zig, Z-I-G, man, M-A-N, Freud, F-R-E-U-D, Zygmunt Freud, or the show itself. The Twitter account for the show itself is individual one pod. That's the word individual, the number one pod, individual number, uh, individual one pod. And if you have any question that you'd like to have answered uh, on the podcast, please email me at John Z at mediate.com. Mediate.com is where you can get my columns. You can find out uh, more about our past broadcasts on my other podcast, which is The World According to Zig, at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. But make sure you spread the word about us on social media. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast itself. So until next time, that's episode one of the Individual One Podcast. My name is John Ziegler.